Hello, my name is Roger Henderson and I'm a GP in Dumfries and Galloway and I also co-host the GP Notebook study groups. Welcome to the GP Notebook podcast, where we discuss bite-sized topics aimed at all those working in primary care. You can find us on all major podcast platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. So please follow us to receive notifications about new episodes. And if you like what you hear, please consider leaving a review to help other listeners find us. You can also follow us on Twitter at GP Notebook for more information about new podcast episodes and study groups. And you can follow me there too, at Roger the Doctor. Finally, you can visit gpnotebookpodcast.com for podcast episode show notes and gpnotebookeducation.com to find out more about upcoming study group meetings. In this episode, I'll be discussing actinic keratoses, often called solar keratoses. And this is a common sun-induced hyperkeratotic or scaly lesion which we see all the time in our practice, particularly in the population aged 60 and above, because NICE estimates that almost 23% of the UK population over that age have at least one actinic keratosis. It's important to be able to recognise these because they do have the potential to become malignant, in other words, transform into a squamous cell carcinoma. The risk of this is low, but it does increase over time. And the more lesions you have, and the older you are, the more likely that is to occur. So, for example, if you have, say, 10 actinic keratoses present, then over five years, you have an up to 12 to 14% risk of one of those developing into a squamous cell carcinoma. Now these, as we know, are a consequence of cumulative long-term sun exposure. And because of this, we don't tend to see them in young people. In fact, they're quite rare under the age of 45, but the incidence obviously does increase with age. Genetic factors can play a part, so you're more likely to experience an actinic keratosis if you've got fair skin, blue eyes, blonde hair, you are at higher risk. Men are definitely affected more than women, and this obviously may be because of the lack of hair on the head in some cases. And lesions, as we've seen in practice, are usually asymptomatic. If you get the red flag symptoms of recent growth, especially fast growth, bleeding, pain or discomfort or tenderness, ulceration. These are all highly suggestive of the possibility of transformation into a squamous cell carcinoma. Although we often see them on the scalp exclusively, their distribution can reflect the intensity of sun exposure on all parts of the body. So you can see them in people who have been working outdoors all their lives on their neck, their forearms and their hands as well as their head. There may also be a background, a background of significant sun-damaged skin in general in these patients. They're often small, as we know, rarely exceeding more than one centimetre in diameter, and they have the typical appearance of the rough, scaly surface, which is usually white, and it can be referred to as flat, but if you have excessive scale, then they can be um, 
slightly bowed or hypertrophic. Uh, if you use a dermatoscope, um, then they have the typical white-yellow scale uh, and a strawberry-like appearance under a dermatoscope. Um, but diagnosis is usually clinical. We don't tend to have to use biopsies. If we do use a biopsy in actinic keratosis, the primary histological finding is partial thickness atypia and dysplasia of the keratinocytes in the basal layers of the epidermis. Now, the majority of actinic keratosis, fortunately, can be managed by ourselves in general practice. So, general measures appropriate for all patients are important here. So, by definition, they are a marker of sun damage. And so, rather than just concentrating on the lesion alone, if you see someone with an actinic keratosis, examine all of their skin to make sure they don't have a hidden, more serious sun-related skin tumour. People with very dry skin and dry skin conditions, it can sometimes be very difficult to differentiate harsh, dry skin from an early actinic keratosis. And so what I like to do in these situations, if I'm unsure and I've got no alarm bells ringing about the lesion I'm seeing, is to suggest to that patient to go away and use a daily moisturiser, probably mm, two to three times a day, for at least four weeks and then come back to see me. If we find that that dry skin has vanished and the lesion has gone, we know it was simple dry skin and not an actinic keratosis. In terms of treating as well, not all patients do need treating. So if you've got a small number of lesions, especially in a very old patient, and also don't forget if they've got a reduced life expectancy, then discuss with them whether they feel that they want treatment or they wish to have those lesions treated. It may be very low down on their priorities and also with yours, depending on their clinical state. If you are going to treat these lesions, then it depends on the severity and the extent of the lesions. So I'm going to start off by looking at lesion-specific treatment. So if you've got one lesion or just a few lesions that are widely distributed, then we treat that individual lesion alone and we don't treat the normal surrounding skin. And this is a very common picture that we see in general practice. So the options that I would typically use Fluorouracil 5% cream. I quite like this treatment. I think it's very effective. It can just be used every night for about four weeks. You put it on before you go to bed and then you wash your hands after putting it on. You leave that area uncovered and then you wash it off the following morning before putting it on again the next night. However, as with all these treatments, and this is a really key message from the Wayside Pulpit here today, always advise the patient that the treatment you are giving for their actinic keratosis is likely to make their skin more red, it's going to cause crusting, and there may be some discomfort during treatment. If you don't advise them of the treatment possibilities here, they are likely to come back saying that you are making my skin worse and I've stopped the treatment. It's very important for them to be fully appraised of what the treatment is going to be doing. Some GPs use terbinabulin, and you can put this on once a day for five days. Again, they should be advised to expect redness, crusting, and some discomfort during treatment. If patients don't want to use a long course of treatment, that can be very helpful because you're just using it for the five days. For slightly longer lengths of treatment, 
than a 0.5% fluorouracil plus 10% salicylic acid solution combination is also very nicely suitable in moderately thick actinic keratoses. I don't tend to use these on very, very mild actinic keratoses. But it's used again once a day, but this time for 6 to 12 weeks. It can often leave a little film on the skin where you've used it. This needs to be washed off before it's applied the following day. Occasionally, and some of you will have done this, and I've done this myself, cryotherapy, um, a one-off use of cryotherapy of about 10 seconds, um, can be very helpful in just stopping lactinic keratosis in their tracks. But if you're going to be using it on the face, don't forget to advise the patient about the possible risk of hypopigmentation. So those are lesion-specific treatments I tend to use. If you've got lesions with associated field changes, by which I mean there are areas of skin which have got numbers of actinic keratoses that are associated with background changes of things like erythema and telangiectasia and other changes that we typically see in sun-damaged skin. These field changes are important because it does slightly increase the risk of developing an SCC in that area, especially if it's left untreated. And so if you've got actinic keratosis with field change, you should probably be using a little bit more muscle in your treatment and using treatment that's treating it more vigorously, shall we say. Um, and the whole area of that field change should be treated, not just the specific lesion as such. So let's look at treating actinic keratosis with field changes, but initially with just a small area of field change. Well, my personal choice here would be 5% imiquimod cream, partly because you only need to use this three nights a week for four weeks. So you put it on at bedtime, wash it off the following morning, and then you stop the treatment after about four weeks. If you've got some inflammation after the use of this, and this is usually very common, then you can just use a mild hydrocortisone like 1% every day for about two to four weeks to help settle that down. Review the patient after about three months, and if need be, you can repeat that four-week course. The advantages of the 5% in Miquimod is very effective. It helps clear up actinic keratosis very nicely, uh, and cosmetic appearance is very good once any subsequent inflammation has been treated. The disadvantages, again, you have to inform that the patient is going to get some redness and some crusting and some erythema, and it's going to look slightly worse before it looks better. So don't do it before a big social event like a wedding. Don't do it before a holiday or before photographs need to be taken. Um, and very occasionally, and I've only seen this once, but it can happen, some people can also develop little flu-like symptoms if you're using 5% imiquimod. The other option that I can use and do use is fluorouracil 5% cream. Use it once a day for about four weeks, usually at night, and then wash the area the following morning. Use that for four weeks. Stop the treatment, and again, you can use something like 1% hydrocortisone to settle the inflammation down, and then follow up again for about three months after the treatment has started. The advantages and the disadvantages are very similar to the 5% imiquimod. So you pay your money and you take your choice here. They both work very well.
other options you can use to benabulin again just once a day for five days and again the 0.5 percent fluorouracil and the 10 percent salicylic acid solution can be used as before photodynamic therapy can sometimes be provided by local skin clinics and a single treatment can often be very helpful for relatively mild field changes Single treatments often give very good effective treatment and the skin settles down within a few days of treatment with a good cosmetic outcome. If you're moving on now to larger areas of field change, then 3% diclofenac gel can be very helpful in my experience. Use it twice a day for 10 to 12 weeks and review the patient four weeks after you've stopped the treatment to assess the response. It's very well tolerated in my experience and can be used on any sized area, although some dermatologists can view it as a slightly milder treatment which might not be as effective as some other treatments for actinic keratosis. Another possible treatment you could use here would be 3.75% imiquimod cream once a day for two weeks, then have a two-week treatment-free period, then have a further once daily application for two weeks. So you've got a six-week total of treatment, but only four weeks of actively using the Imiquimod cream. The adverse effects are similar to the 5% Imiquimod cream, but usually not as severe. So those are the treatments that we should be using in primary care. As always, if you have any concerns about the clinical appearance of a skin lesion, even if you think it is not any kind of malignant process, then don't forget just to pick up the phone or send a photograph to your local dermatologist just for advice. One of the rarer complications um, is erosive pustular dermatosis of the scalp. This is quite uncommon. I think I've only seen this once. Uh, it happens in older patients, but the risk of this does appear to be increased with the treatment of actinic keratosis, especially post-cryotherapy. So clinically, you get varying degrees of scarring post-treatment with some crusting, some pustules, occasionally ulceration and occasionally skin erosion. Specialists would suggest the use of super potent topical steroids, but in my view, this should be a case to be discussed with your local dermatologist. So that's a simple overview of actinic keratosis and I do hope you found this podcast helpful. Please have a look at the show notes that accompany this episode at gpnotebookpodcast.com as they go into great detail about the treatments I've discussed and we'd be very grateful if you'd consider following the podcast and leaving us a review on your favourite podcast platform. Feel free to get in touch via social media at gpnotebook or email support at gpnotebook.com if you have any questions, comments or ideas for future podcasts. You should also visit us at gpnotebookeducation.com to register for our virtual GP Notebook study groups and download free resources and shortcuts to help improve the lives of our patients in primary care. So, thank you for listening and until the next time, goodbye.